Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Catch new episodes of The O Show for free, available on all audio platforms, including Apple, Spotify, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio. For full video versions of the podcast, head on over to YouTube and StarWorldWideNetworks.com. The O Show is presented by Mayweather Boxing and Fitness. Mayweather Boxing and Fitness is an inclusive, high-intensity fitness experience developed by the champ Floyd Money Mayweather himself. The best group boxing workout in the market, Mayweather Boxing and Fitness. Oh, Jack. Jack O'Hara. Boy, you asked me some interesting questions, my man. It's a great question, Jack. Jack, hey, it's Josh Radder. Hey there, Jack O'Hara. It's Johnny Damon. Jack, you had questions for me. Jack O'Hara? Absolutely. This message is for Jack O'Hara. Jack, how are you? Hey, Jack. Jack, hey, what's going on, man? How you doing? What's going on, Jack? Uh, listen, man, you know, you, you, you asked me a couple questions. Broadcasting around the world, you're listening to The O Show. In the show and uh, doing your thing, I mean, you've got some pretty big name guests. I've seen your, your stuff, so congratulations on your success. Jack O'Hara. Much nicer guy than Conan O'Brien with much better interviewing skills. Don't forget to share this episode on your social media. Now, let's get to it. I'm so boned. I forgot to get my girl tickets for the show tomorrow, and now it's sold out. It's her freaking birthday. Oh, dude. She's definitely going to break up with you. She's definitely going to break up with me. Should have used TickPick. Wait, what'd you say? TickPick. Look. Oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. What? There are no hidden fees. What'd you guys think I said? Oh, TickPick. I thought you said TickPick. No hidden fees. Download today. not played a show as a matter of fact we've uh played like live together as a band like twice because <laughs> you guys yeah. are like relatively you know brand new super brand new we the band actually started uh right at the beginning of the pandemic so the band so the band that i was in prior was a band called nine electric mm-hmm. and the singer was this guy ron ron underwood he was actually from a band called opiate for the masses which is out from your way i don't know if you know that band but uh Anyways, we, we did that band for 10 years. We made a lot of stuff happen, but it broke up in January 2020. And I started this band the next day. Wow, really? Yeah, yeah. I mean, this is what I do, you know? And what, luckily, the drummer in Red Star, Russell Ray, he was playing in that band right at the end there. So I kind of had somebody to start it with, you know what I mean? It was like, it's not a fun notion to start a new band. Especially yeah. when you've been in one for a long time and it just implodes and you're like, well, what are you going to do? You know, I, I basically had a couple of choices and my choices were quit, which I would never do. Right. To join something else, which is, you know, always seems like a, an easy option, but it's not. Because, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm very particular and I only fit in certain things, you know, as it doesn't mean I'm, you know, just if I, if I think I can fit into a bunch of things, it doesn't mean they're going to want me, you know? So you got to find the right thing. And then starting fresh, which is, I like a brand new, fresh band, but it was just, do I really want to start another one? And it took me all of a day to be like, yeah, I better start a new one. And oh my God. he was on board and we got going. And uh, for about two months, like 
we got it going and then we had a different guy playing bass with us for, for a couple sessions, you know, he didn't work out. We brought on Eric, who's a longtime friend of Russell's and I, and, um, he'd been in a bunch of other bands that, you know, that we knew of and we started playing and then boom, the pandemic hit. And it was like, Whoa, this is trippy. Like, well, what are we going to do? You know I mean? At first it was just like, there was going to be basically every band that had ever existed was going on, on tour in early 2020. I have to remember that. And that was another thing that was frustrating too. thinking of like, well, wow, we're going to have to start a new band and have all this, this kind of competition. No one's going to pay attention, you know? Right. So when the pandemic hit, it actually allowed us to kind of like reset because everybody got stopped, unfortunately. And from there, we, we felt good about that, but we're like, well, what are we going to do? We can't really do anything. You know, we're, we're not even supposed to go anywhere in our own city, you know, let alone look for other musicians. So we started looking for a singer and we had a couple of guys around this way who were interested. But I remember one guy was interested and we were interested in him a little bit, but he was afraid to travel during the early pandemic. So we just wrote him off and ended up finding Damien, our singer, just by pure stars aligning. I think he wrote to Russ on Instagram. He was in another band. And he just, just wrote to him to catch up, see how his band was handling the pandemic issues and stuff like that. And Russ asked him, he goes, Hey man, I got this new van, you know, uh, you would like to check it out. And he's like, yeah, sure. I'll check it out. And then boom, we just went from there. You basically went and recorded demos, got, got stoked on what we were doing. And I would say about less than a month later, we went out to Indiana to record. So it was kind of a blessing in disguise, you'd say, because like you got the chance to not only form, you know, a good repertoire, good chemistry with the guys, but at the same time, you were able to build, you know, marketing, branding, social media, all that other stuff. That, right, right. You know, that like a normal, like up and coming musician doesn't think about, I feel like. My brother's, right. I'm trying to get him to like get into, you know, like you got to start posting your stuff on social media. You got to start marketing this, that. And he's not right. about it. He's like the business side of music, especially like people that hear of it on the outside, like me as an outsider. Some people just think it's like toxic. They try to just get stuff out of you. But like, if you're marketing yourself, you know, like that's, you're going into business for yourself. Yeah, you have to. I mean, everybody else is doing it for, you know, everybody, if you think about it on a really big, deep philosophical, philosophical uh, viewpoint, everybody is marketing themselves somehow. Even if you just post what you ate that day, that's marketing yourself. You're, you're, yeah. you're promoting your lifestyle and you might not try to be trying to be monetizing it, but it's like, you're, you're putting something out there and that's what everybody does these days. So when we were first starting, well, I, the, one of the really great, you know, numerous great things that happened with the pandemic is that we were able to start putting ourselves out there and not have to compete with so much, it, you know, bands were, bands were busy doing some, a lot of stuff. I mean, I guess I'd have to say that they were online more so than normal because that's all they could do. But it was interesting how they handled it because those touring machines, when they weren't able to do that, they, they really, showed how much they were missing touring and that i think enabled like a band like ours who was starting to be like well cool we aren't missing touring because we've never done anything we haven't toured so we don't have to compete on that level right we can just like we can present ourselves and fresh and new and kind of like here we are kind of thing which is what we did and that was really helpful too because we you know it would have been a much more difficult presentation to get yourselves in the eyes and ears of people when they're at a concert every other day you know, so the, so the new singles out STFU and you guys, again, have not played in front of a live audience together. Yet, no, 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 we have very interesting because I feel like that's yeah. a very nerve wracking thing. Like, you know, what well, you sound like when you're, you're together, 
But what do right. you guys sound like people? I'm sorry, bro. Like, what, like you, it's got to be a nerve-wracking thing. Like, you guys know how to play in front of each other, and you guys have a good chemistry, but right. no, the live audience is different. It's it's not. We've played so many shows, and we, we know what we're doing. Like, it's very seasoned band. I mean, if anything, we'll just be excited, you know? It's like we... We've got that down. That's uh, that's kind of the easy part, to be honest with you. Mm-hmm. Um, the tougher stuff was like trying to navigate between where we live. Two of us live in California. Our singer Damien lives in in um, Jersey, and Russell, the drummer, lives in Florida. Oh, wow. So, if anything, we've just had to make sure that every time we're doing something, whether we're going to record in Indiana with with Sahaj, Sahaj is in uh, the band from the band Raw. We're actually going on tour with them in August, but um, it's just being able to get out there maximize your time maximize what you're doing while we're recording that all the guys have been here twice to shoot videos actually they're here now and we just shot a video all this week and um uh, not all this week but the last couple days and they're here all week so we take these opportunities when we have these trips together they're usually about anywhere from five to seven to eight days that's how much we're together we maximize that time you know so normally when a band lives like near each other you go down to rehearsal studios and you play and you kind of get ready. What we're going to end up doing is we're going to, uh, Eric and I, who live in California, we're going to fly to Florida. Damien will fly to Florida. All this stuff is there. All the years there. We'll rehearse there. We'll get ready for the tour and then we'll head on the road. Wow. So that, that's yeah. got to be exciting to finally, yeah. you know, get to do this stuff. Cause did you even like produce the, the music video for STFU over zoom? Like everything was yeah. like that. had to yeah. be cool. Like exciting. Cool. Like you got to get it done, but difficult. Right. Brian, yeah, Brian Cox, who directs our videos, he actually he actually works for Bring Me the Rise, and he's worked for um, Cypress Hill and Hollywood Undead and stuff like that. He's a longtime friend. He's living in the UK right now. He's married, and it's out there. He's been out there for about a year and change. So we knew we wanted him. I knew for a fact I wanted him to do the video, and we the guys in the band, a couple of guys in the band already knew him and know his work and stuff like that. So I said, we got to work with Brian. And I remember when I approached Brian about it, I started talking to him over over Instagram. And I said, you know, Brian, I go, I don't know if you're in California or you're going to be in California anytime soon right now, but I said, you know, I want you to do our video. And he's like, man, I'd love to. And then as it got to be more of a serious conversation, he was like, dude, I don't know how I'm going to do this because I'm not there and I'm not going to be able to be there. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, well, what do you, what about Zoom? I go, I could have sworn I saw you do something on Zoom. He goes, yeah, I did it because I didn't like it. So, and he go, well, man, we got to, we got to make it happen, you know? And I started pitching my ideas and he got all really excited and we got on a, we got on a FaceTime call and we started talking about it. He goes, look, we can do this. He goes, we do it at this specific spot. I feel comfortable doing it there. I want Kevin Garcia, who's a good friend of his, to do uh, camera work. Kevin actually just uh, co-directed that Corn Monumental uh, live broadcast that they did. So as long as it was like, you know, all the all the right people were involved, it, it was doable. And then, you know, we went over, we showed up to Mix One Studios in Anaheim and shot it there. And Brian was in the computer, much like you and I are doing right now. That's unbelievable. Yeah. It's, it's amazing, like, moving forward, how many people are probably going to not have to do it, because I feel like in-person is so much easier. But, like, right. now that we know how to use this stuff, because, like, a year and a half ago, I didn't know how to use it. Now it's, like, second nature. <laughs> right. It's easy right. to get well, Zoom call. To Brian's, to Brian's defense, he would prefer to be in-person, so he just did the, the video that we did the last two days. He did it again. He had to do Zoom again. And he also has to really trust his DP or co-director who's here, um, cause they're his eyes. Well, you know, he can only see so much. He has to give him his shot designs and, and his wish list of what he wants for, for the editing. Now he's going to get it and talk to us and tell us what he needs from us, but he can't be there and he wants to be here, you know? 
but the, he can't, he's in the UK and he can't, there's still a lockdown there. There's a, there's heavy corn. There's a lot of, uh, fees that you have to pay to be able to even try to come back here. Cause he's a U.S. citizen, but they, you know, if he comes back here, he's fine. His wife is a, is not a U.S. citizen. She'll have to quarantine. When he goes back, he has to, you have to quarantine for two weeks and it costs like a couple of grand apparently. So just not in the cards for him to come here and do it, but we wanted to work with Brian again. He's, he's our guy. And we said, Hey, you know, it's, it's not the most ideal situation, but we can do it. And we know we're getting really high end output. Let's just do it again. And we did. We want it done. <laughs> we'll find a way to get it done at the end. Oh, of the absolutely. Day. And you guys being such a brand new band, like I know you, Russell and Eric kind of were playing together and Damien was the last one. You kind right. of, and that, that kind of, you know, put like the icing on the cake when it came to your overall sound because red star, like right off the bat, even, you know, the background you have there, the logo for red star it's fired by rage against the machine, right? Yeah, totally. Um, and it's like, you know, we're not trying to just be like derivative and, and, and right. some sort of clone of them. You know I mean? Like they're very inspirational. Um, one of the reasons the name came about is because I had a shirt with a red star on it. And I love that. I just love that design and that look. And, you know, you're getting, you're, 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 you're going into dangerous waters. If you try to be like them as activist driven as they are, because, no one else but like the clash and a few other bands can touch that kind of thing because you have to be straight up dedicated to a lot of activist uh, causes a lot of left-wing things and even though we're into those things and are knowledgeable about them we would come off as really trite and really ridiculous if we were trying to spit that kind of stuff it's a different time now they're even different about it you know but they're they're on they're the top shelf liquor of that kind of thing if anything what we're doing is there's a activism within you know ourselves and what we're doing and how we became a band and how we kind of, you know, overcame the adversity of pandemic and stuff like that to basically fight against just anything that holds you back, whether it's yourself or the government or your neighbor or a stoplight, you know, just persevere, you know? And, and I know a lot of people like to think of like a red star as communism Mm-hmm. it's it's not that maybe we can look at it as communism against just anything that's just you know shackling yourself to something you know what i mean that's just bringing you down and yeah of course we're inspired by the music but being that it's four individuals in span we all have different tastes we bring all those tastes into what we do and then sahaj who's like the fifth member right he's a brilliant musician and a brilliant producer he can take those things that we bring to the table and be like uh, if you do this, it's so it's too typical, and it'll sound like this. Let's 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 try this, and let's let's bring this into the fold, and let's make it fresher here, and let's let's drop that part. And you know, he really understands us, which is a great thing. And we feel very comfortable expressing ourselves musically and artistically, and as people with him, and that just helps the sound. You know, so if anything, the sound should just be very, very energetic and make the listener feel like anything is possible. So when you, Russell and Eric, are playing and, and you guys are getting comfortable and you're looking for a vocalist, did you immediately, like, initially think rapper? Or was it more along the lines you kind of were just searching, you were trying to mixing and matching things, and all of a sudden it's just like, that'll sound great. And then that's when Damien comes along. How many different right. vocalists did you try out? Right, I love that you asked that because um, the very first time that question was posed was by Russell, actually. And we had been playing for a number of weeks, and I had, I had all these tons of demos that were for my previous band that weren't going to get used and just, they weren't right. I, I didn't hear, they weren't going to be working for that band in any way, shape or form. And then when the band broke up, I was actually like, man, it's a shame if these songs don't use that. I want to use them. It's like, this is the sound I want to go into. So we start playing 
And once Eric was playing with us, we got a, we got a bunch of just rehearsal of the three of us in, you know, we're playing, 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 you know, there was, it was like a ghost town out here. Nobody was on the streets. You weren't even supposed to be out anywhere, but we kept going to the rehearsal studio. And by the time we got to the, to the part where we start talking about a singer, Russ goes like this, and this is verbatim. This is not made up. He goes, what are you like thinking for like, the vocalist? And I go, there has to be rapping in this, you know? And he goes, really? And I go, yeah, absolutely. I said, I, I, I want that. I, I has to have that. I go, I want singing too, but there has to be rapping because I love that cadence and the flow. If it's a really good rapper or in somebody who has attitude and vibe and flow and energy, and that puts a different spin on rock music and funky type rock music, you know, and that hits really close to me where it's like with bands like Rage and Chili Peppers and, you know, Lincoln Park and even Limp Bizkit and those kind of bands and a, and a, and a few others. Um, I just like that energy, you know, and I even like, um, even early Slipknot, there's not really rapping per right. se, yeah. but I know Corey Taylor was very influenced by Beastie Boys and stuff like that. And there's a cadence that just, just flows way different than a singer. And when it comes to singers, I love like, Lane Staley from Allison Chains, Chris Cornell, a handful of others. But unless you get, unless you find that kind of world of a singer, I don't love typical singing on a lot of rock music. It's, it just feels very middle of the road to me. And I didn't want that in this band, you know? And that's not to put anybody on. It's just saying that's not what I wanted. So we needed, we needed rapping. And at first we thought we were going to have to find a rapper and a singer because they don't often do both well. You know, so to find Damien and have him be, you know, really great at both was like just it was it blew us away. So when he went and recorded, we found him, we talked to him, heard his old band, heard his singing. I go, that's really cool. I, I like singing. I want, uh, you know, I'm interested to see how he is with rapping. He went and record. He went. He lives in Jersey. He went to Philadelphia or somewhere in Pennsylvania to record, sent us some demos back. I listened for about 15, 20 seconds. Sold. I go, this is the guy. It's him. It's, it's him. You know, he, the rapping sounded great. And then when he got to the chorus, I was like, money. And I, go, I go, dude can sing. That's our guy. And then from there, it was just like, it was on. So before you brought him in, though, because, again, you wanted a rapper, but at the same time, you wanted to kill two birds with one stone, in a sense, because you wanted someone who could rap. You also wanted someone who could sing if you wanted to go that route. What type of style were you looking for? Like you mentioned the Lane Staley's, the Chris Cornell's, you know, the melodies and the harmonies. Like, what right, right. were you looking for? Singing wise, you know, that was a tough one. It was, I, I can't say that, that we had anything in particular, you know, somebody that could sing with a lot of energy and a lot of, uh, you know, angst and really put their heart into it and stuff like that. And I don't know that I had anybody in particular in mind. Um, I don't think we were modeling in either thing, the rapping or the singing after any one person per se. You know what I mean? I think that would have been, that would have made things too narrow. I know I can tell you this, um, the ad that we had, had like, you know, because we put an ad out. That's where was, you know, I was putting it on. We were all putting it on Facebook and Instagram, and we were putting it in you know, little places that people might be looking for musicians, like the uh, what is it called? Um, I forget. I'm, I'm blanking out right now. There's a website out here that everybody sells stuff on and, and looks for ads and stuff like that. And Craigslist, sorry, Craigslist. We had Craigslist ads going, and I remember it had Reggie Gets Machine, Chili Peppers, Bring Me the Horizon, Pantera. Um, like maybe like nothing more or somebody like that. Um, couple others that I'm blinking park cool. mm -hmm. and just anything kind of like in that wheelhouse, that was the basic, the blueprint, but it didn't have to be any one of those things. It wasn't like we're looking for some Chester Bennington type. Right. And then a rapper that sounds like, uh, 
Zach from Rage or raps like, you know, Fred Durst does or whatever that or things like Ollie from Bring Me. It was just kind of like, have all these sensibilities in mind and we have all this music. And if you have something that can mix those together and have your own things, that was the most important to get to have your own thing. Yeah. Uh, hopefully you can rock over this. You know, I think you can say that. I'm like, we need somebody to fucking spit fire over this or some shit like that. Yeah, I mean, these are these are what we're looking for. And, you know, even though we're not a metal band, um, we love Pantera and we love that groove. Pantera is groove metal. And we wanted that groove in those heavy riffs and that and that kind of like that's almost that that's that bluesy metal kind of thing. But it had like a funky feel to it at times, you know. We wanted that in there. so But that didn't mean we want somebody to just scream over the shit, you know what I mean? And sound like uh, we're trying to be Pandera, you know? Right. We just wanted, we wanted somebody be, to be able to go there, you know? Because you can get a rap, somebody who does rapping, and they don't like all kinds of different heavy metal bands or rock bands or whatever. Right. And then you can get a singer. Singers are like, I don't like rap. You know, it had to be somebody who was not going to cut anything off. Right. They had to be open to everything and open to making something unique based on those handful of artists and, and the tons of other artists that we didn't bother to even list because, you know, if you start telling people like, man, I love Led Zeppelin too. And I want to do some, um, some DMX in there, yep. you know, new rappers and newer rock artists, you'll just throw them off. You know, he's well-rounded. He's well-versed. So right. how quickly did you guys go? Cause again, he's, you guys bring him in. He's what? 25 years old. You know, 26. He's, yeah. He's, six. he's a kid, you know? Like, yeah. Super quick. So, I mean, he, he went and demoed over the songs, right? He did those three songs, sent him back. So he got, he got with it quick. I mean, we were, we had met, we talked on the phone a bunch. We were all doing these zoom calls, you know? So once that was on, I booked studio time with Zaj very quickly. So I, I think it was like April when we did that early April, late March, early April, when we did those demos, we started talking, we went out to Zaj's at the end of May. So here's the funny thing. We'd never been in the room, the same room together, all four of us, and we wouldn't record it. And two of the guys were still in other bands. I was not in my band anymore because it broke up. Russ was playing in that band, but Russ was in another band that was still functioning. Damien was in another band that was, you know, still trying to function. And then Eric had been out of uh, a band he'd been in for a couple of years, you know? So there was a little bit of like cheating moonlighting going on to see what was going on. But basically in a nutshell, everybody wasn't happy with what they had done before. I was lucky enough to, you know, have my thing. end. Eric had ended a couple of years prior, but those two guys were hanging on like a lot of people do kind of going like, well, I've been in this for a while. It doesn't feel right. I don't want to be doing it anymore. But, you know, much like when people don't break up in a relationship properly, they're kind of like they're seeing somebody else, but they're still with their significant, significant other a little bit. You know what I mean? It was kind of like that. And then once we got over to the record and got shit going, everybody knew it was like, we're done with those old, old bands. They went home and quit those bands and this band started. That's very yeah. interesting. Cause how long were you with your band before this? Cause like, 10 years. yeah. So like those first <laughs> years, things are clicking, obviously, you know, you're, you're doing right. a job, and then all of a sudden things aren't meshing as well as they used to. So well, what I, I, the there? I'm a super driven, hardcore person. You know what I mean? I'm no, qualms about saying that everybody that knows me well knows that I'm that way. Right. So I gave my all to the band that I was in for 10 years. Right. It ended. I was done with it. I don't look back. I'm not much of a reminiscer. I don't kind of like dwell on things. I move forward. I think in some other lifetime, I must've been a shark because they only move forward. <laughs> so I knew like once I made that decision, which I made it very quickly to start another band, I was 1000% into being in that new band. 
you know, so there was a little bit of like, I'm like, Hey, you know, I'm like, yeah, you guys, you're in another band still, but I don't know, man. Like, let's do this. We're doing this, you know? And that was like before even Damien was around. So once we got out there, I mean, once we did, when you commit to getting on a plane and going to record with people, you know, you're, you're doing something there. I know a lot of people record and a lot of people do stuff. And sometimes that shit never sees the light of day and they just go backwards and they go like, well, that's my other band or, or whatever, you know, I pretty much made it obvious to everybody that I'm less not really an option. And I go, if you try to pull that option, you're gone, you know, and making an ultimatum like that, you know, it's risky because you could easily get them like, Oh, fuck you. I'm going to go back to this other thing. It's already got time in it and it's already got a name and things are going, you know what I mean? And I'm thinking like, well, you're not happy and it's not popping off and this is going to fucking pop off, you know? So let's do this. And I didn't even have to say that because everybody could feel it, you know? Uh, there used to be a time before, like every, you know, back in the seventies, eighties, nineties, stuff like that music was so, so live oriented that you would play live a million times. Then you'd go record, you know, somebody would swoop you up a record label and then you finally get in the studio and they capture your live sound. You know what I mean? Usually nowadays it's different. You don't have to play together and you just go record. Now there's a lot of music together that feels doesn't have a, a very strong energy because they haven't played together or it's very studioized. I think Sahaj did a really great job of taking the music that we brought to him and making it feel, capturing the energy that we all had being there together because everybody was excited. It was almost like, you know, you got let out of jail and you get to go see a woman for the first time. That shit's on, you know what I mean? And that's what the music was like. And uh, even though we had never played and we were in there recording, I 100% feel very confidently confident that it uh it has that energy like we like we had been playing and you know mind you russ eric and myself have been playing we've been playing you know for a couple months together so what i love is that it doesn't feel like a bunch of guys who've been playing together but then some singer who just slaps it on the top of it he's he fits right in there like he was in the room with us that whole time you know and look if i want to be like very new age modern hippie about it maybe he was You know, I mean, that was kind of what happened with, you know, Audio Slave. Like, right, right, right. Came from Rage, and then you slap Chris Cornell. I mean, if you slap Cornell on anything, it's going to work, I feel like. Right, right, right. Work in any sense of genre, I feel like, as a rock singer. But it's very interesting that you guys were able to, again, during these weird times, especially, kind of form that, you know, the three of you bringing him in, and at the same time, the four of you coming together and gelling. Being able to right. stuff. So STFU is the single, but you guys got have an EP coming out later on in the year. Yeah, um, you know it's all very, very up in the air. Um, yeah. We have a bunch of. We already have nine songs recorded. How we're going to release them is what's up in the air. Um, rock fans are very much in that vein of like needing a proper release to be feel satisfied. You know, they um, they need an EP. They need a record. You know. And the way that we feel in this band is that music is very disposable these days. And when you put out a full record, people get excited about it. But in the algorithms and the Spotify's and those in iTunes and Apple music and stuff like that, your music becomes, can become dead. You have a bunch of tracks that don't get their just due because there's a lot of people who will go to your page and only look at your top 10 songs and then just disregard everything else. And it's a shame to put in that much effort into your, your deeper tracks in your record. Um, and then have them just never really be paid attention to. So what we're really loving right now is doing song by song. And then that can become a record. You know what I mean? Because it's like, if you're the person who really needs an album, 
or really needs a disc. You know, which I, I don't listen. I don't know about you, but I don't listen to CDs anymore. I listen to Apple Music all day, every day. And I use Spotify whenever I need to, blah, 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 right? And I like CDs. I got a whole huge rack shelf over there of CDs. They're almost like records now. They're like a collector's item kind of thing, right? And if somebody has a CD player and you got to hear a CD, we'll play it. But you have music right on your phone. So why do you need a CD? You know what I mean? So for me, I'm like, hey, you can go song by song. And then by the time like a year is up, there's your whole record. And it's an, it's an experience. It's like something that you get to, to uh, roll out for like an entire year and it just one more piece of the puzzle gets put together, you know, and rap artists and pop artists do this shit left and right, you know, and it works. So we want to do that right now. And we want everybody to take the journey with us and, you know, we'll see how that goes. And, you know, if we have to make a left turn or a right turn and do something kind of different then we'll, you know, we'll think about that when we get there. Yeah. I mean, it's just a different way of distributing stuff. Like you said, like the modern day, you, you, Again, write your best material and then gradually put it out. And then eventually, you know, you put it on a vinyl or, or a record as opposed to right. two or three hit songs on a record. And then just having like 10 or 11 songs that are just fluff that nobody really, you know, engages with. Right. You know, you know, some, some kind of thing like off the top of my head. And these are just, just different discussions we've had and stuff like that and just different ideas. But I think a, a possible fun idea could be if we, let's say that we this band records 15 songs, right? And we put them out as time you know goes on, like every six weeks or whatever. And then by the by a year and a half, two years, they're all out, right? And then somebody wants a record. Why don't we go and do something like this? Hey, um, you guys get to vote for the top ten or eleven songs that are going to be on the actual album, and then that'll be it. You know what I mean? And when, once they're picked, we'll press that. And when you want to buy it, you can. You know what I mean? And it's like interactive instead of like, here's what we picked and, you know, you got to deal with it. And, you know, basically songs four through 11 won't get, you know, aren't getting as much spins because the first four have been out longer. Right. <laughs> you know? I mean, I told so, that. Yeah. That, that, that would be very, that's, that's actually a really great idea, especially. Yeah. Oh, hopefully no one steals it because I'm talking about it here. <laughs> I know. That's what always seems to happen. Like, you think of something really cool, then, like, a week later, it's just mainstream already. You're right. Like, it's- I mean, a lot, of, a lot of people have been doing it. It's, it's, it's nothing new. Rock bands are trying to do it. I think rock bands are, are more receptive of it these days, but it's just, it's just not their thing. I mean, the first words out of their mouth is like, when's the CD? And I kind of just laugh, and I'm just like, later. <laughs> it's, on, it's later. It's later on. Like, you can't possibly tell me you need a CD when I know you're talking to me on your phone. Close me out, you know? Stop commenting to me and go open one of those two or three major uh, streaming platforms and just listen there. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's amazing then, how like the uh, kind of like the rock nation, like rock fans in general, just kind of like go back to what it was like in the early 2000s or even like the mid 90s as opposed to like if you're like strictly a rap and hip hop fan. Like that's the norm. Nobody has CDs. Nobody has right, CDs. right. No, it's it's comfort. It's comfort. It's I think it's a difficulty in like accepting new things and wanting to hold on to older times stuff like that. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's great. Whatever you hold dear to yourself, that's amazing, right? But you have to evolve. I look at it this way. It's like you do all your people do their banking on their phone. A lot, a lot of people. I know a lot of people still go to the bank, but they do banking on their phone, and that's yeah. like something really, really, really important, right? Because that's your money. If you're, if you're willing to do open up an app on your phone and look at your account and move money around or pay for things, you surely can listen to music on, on a, on a streaming platform because it's somebody else's music and it's speaking to you. And in whatever way that it does, hopefully a positive way, 
but it isn't your currency. It isn't something that you had to work for and earn. It's a luxury for lack of a better term, you know? So again, I'm thinking like, that's just the thing. It was like, if you're willing to mess with your money online, you can, you can definitely listen to a song. Oh, 100%. And, and again, you're going to be listening to the best material that you're putting out there as opposed to, again, two or three songs on a record, the rest being that. But at the same time, you know, you've grown up a rock fan, whether, you know, it's Led Zeppelin, Sabbath, the, that early stuff, you know, going to Guns N' Roses, the Grunge, right. Rana, Soundgarden, whatever. Like, if you're a true fan, you're listening to all of those songs. Like, you're listening Absolutely. to songs that nobody's ever heard before on a mainstream level, songs that they didn't right. play on radio, you know? So, well, like, I, I love records. I love records and I love like all the, like, you know, it was a different time, you know, it's like in the sixties and seventies, like, you know, late sixties Beatles mostly um, with records. Cause they really broke the, the mold for, for records. It was all singles in the sixties, you know, but they were such a big deal. And, and they were, they, they were mobbed by people that they had to just go away and, and their albums became their performances. So those things were just really top shelf, right? Seventies became uh, very album oriented as, as, as well, like super album oriented, but it was also like an extension of live, which is really cool. And I just love how all that stuff sounds and plays. And the nineties were very much like that too. Um, but I think what, like, like you just said, it's like, um, let's take Guns N' Roses for example. Guns N' Roses has a ton of great songs. Like, like one song that I absolute love from Guns N' Roses is Night Train, right? But I know that if you go to their Spotify, Sweet Child of Mine is number one. And there's a bunch of people who will find out about Guns N' Roses and listen to that song, but they'll never hear Night Train. You know what I mean? And that's a damn shame to me. You got to hear the whole record to hear Night Train. So knowing that for a new band, you can't screw with that because we don't have that legacy. We don't have, we don't have one of the greatest rock records ever underneath our belt at the moment, right? So I don't want my songs and great songs that we do as a band, like I said, you know, numerous times in this interview, to get swept under the rug. Mm -hmm. I mean, I want them to get attention. And I think as we're starting now, now the way, the best way to do that, I feel is to put them out one at a time. So they get at least their five, six, seven weeks of attention. And you can really get into it as opposed to just having it go by in a blur with a bunch of songs and obsessing over song number two and six and ignoring eight or nine, you know, that kind of thing, you know, and, and decide later. And, you know, when that doesn't work for us anymore, or you, we have to do something different we already know how to do the normal routine. We can do that in our sleep. You know, it's like everybody can, every band knows how to put a record together. Producers are great at helping with that and stuff like that. But you know, I think it's, um, it's fun to do something different. And I think it's fun to turn rock bands onto something different too. You know, it doesn't have to always be like it was before. No, not at all. And that being said, just to top on that, do you guys, are you guys constantly writing stuff or are you just putting full on effort into one song at a time? Like obviously SDFU's, number one for you guys right now because right. that's the song you put out but are you constantly right. writing material yeah i mean we have a wealth of material i like i said I, I mean i came from the other situation with a with a huge batch of songs i mean i have like 70 or 80 songs and these guys have heard like most of them they're always writing songs so we have tons of stuff and putting i mean i i would say to be honest with you the biggest problem is not having songs it's like trying to decide which ones you're going to do and weeding some out and kind of really loving that one and kind of being like well Sahaj doesn't love that one or this guy loves that one a little bit more. You know what I mean? Like just trying to figure out what's the right direction and what you, what, what's going to make sense, you know? But like I said, we already have nine done, you know? So technically another song or two, which we could bang out in a couple days, you know, with another trip, we'd have a, we'd have a record, you know? And, uh, you know, one idea that we have in Sahaj and no idea about this, but we are going on tour with him. And since we're going to be on his, in his neck of the woods, he lives in Indiana and we'll be in Florida. 
and we'll have just toured with him. We're gonna like, well, why don't we come up to the house, you know, the studio for like three or four days and do a couple, couple more songs, you know? Because well, we are thinking like, we, yeah, we are thinking like, hey, we should have a records with the material. And you know, when 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 labels start getting involved and things like that, they always want to hear as much stuff as you have. And you know, and sometimes they don't like it when you burn your own songs. They feel like they can't put it on a record. That's that's a very rock thing rap and pop and stuff like that they put out songs for two years and then a record finally comes out and nobody gives a shit that those songs are already on there yep no 100 percent. i mean and, and unless you're guns and roses you have like that one record that they still play to this day you know right right with anything else appetite for destruction that literally put them on the map and it still has them on the map 30 years later right i mean they only have five records in total you know, and one of them was done with just Axel and all those other guys. And right. I like that record, actually. Chinese is a good record. Um, you know, and they put out, when they did The Illusions, there was like a, a kajillion songs on those, you know, and it was uh, pretty over the top. But they have a pretty vast catalog. And at the same time, it's strangely small, you know, when you think of them, you know, because, uh, you know, when they play live, they play like a million songs and they play like eight or nine of them from Appetite. And, uh, that's pretty interesting. You know, I, I just find that, that, that interesting that they, uh, some people can actually can be like with them, like, Oh, they're just a one record band. I'm like, no, no, they're not. They're amazing. You gotta, you gotta. Appetite for destruction, like four or five, six of those songs you'll hear on the radio. Cause those were their hit songs. And they, those were Big like time. the biggest songs of the eighties. They just right. blew everybody away, you know, like just that right. mentality of axles, vocals and slashes, you know, rhythm. Like it's just, the perfect pairing and that's what got them but yeah you're right like uh lose your illusion like uh dustin bones great song you know like they they have a ton of great stuff but it gets lost in the shuffle because right. those four or five hits that came out when they're making all of that content all at the same right as opposed to putting a one great song at a time right 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 i mean they're an incredibly musical band you know what i mean like they, their stuff really runs the gamut and then you know i i i remember just hearing interviews over time or reading things you know and at back because that appetite was so big and it was such a concentrated rock record that you know it was like frustrating for like axel and stuff like that because he wanted to branch out and people didn't want to hear it as much of that you know what i mean and there's a lot there's a lot of things on those illusion records that is uh it's really good music but it's definitely not like mr brownstone no. you know or, or paradise city whatever you know and it's like um that's tough that's a that's a that's a that's a great problem to have and it's an interesting problem to have you know and it's like uh you know we've definitely when when more of our material comes out it's it definitely branches out I, it's not like all of a sudden it doesn't have like that that rap and rock vibe that we have it's just the way that we did it is a little different and not none of the songs sound like the other song you know and you'll even see that when the next one comes out the next one the second song will probably be out around july 16th or so a little after that you know and, you know, even though we've been focused on SDFU and building towards releasing that and having it out, it's only been out like three and a half weeks. Right. We're already on to the prep of the next one, you know, and we're, we're focused on SDFU and doing what we need to do to that song, but we're already getting the next one going. And, you know, that one's going to be out sooner than everybody knows. And, you know, it'll be a little different sounding, but it sounds like this band. And it's like, you know, we're in the early stages of where we can kind of like, take people on a little bit of a joy ride because they're not expecting just one thing from us. Hopefully they're not, you know, maybe they are. <laughs> I, I honestly think that's the best route to go for any musician or any band that's trying to make it like, just have everything sound completely different from your last track. I mean, you right. want to develop that unique sound where it's like, Oh, if you hear an Eddie Van Halen solo, like, Oh, that's Van Halen, you know, right, like, right, right. guitar that's guns and roses. But at right. the same time, like if you're able to expand your mind and some of your knowledge, 
and inspirations and bring out different sounds. It's just going to make everybody better and more in tune. Right. It's going to keep things exciting. And right. as as a young uh, as a young kid, I wanted to ask you, you know, was that always the mentality, or was it just like, okay, I'm a rock guy, I want it to sound like that, or as opposed to you know having that one sound? Um, no, I mean, I listen to a lot of music. All of it, all of it's pretty much rock. You know, what I mean, I mean, I have this this playlist that I created. It's called Mellow Gold, and it's like all these really like mellow like six like sixties and seventies, a lot of seventies stuff, and and even eighties like like basically like soft radio hits. You know, mm-hmm. and I love that stuff because I love the chord changes. There's a very lot of very jazzy things happening in there, even if it's not jazz music. The chord changes are jazzy, you know. And I listen to that music. And even though I'm not playing that kind of music, I like to bring that sort of sensibility into what I'm doing and just bring a little bit of like, um, bring musicality into stuff. You know, rock music can be just very aggressive and very um, just rhythmic oriented and not have a lot of thought process or too much thought process put on melodies and the way the vocals set things up and the way that the drums and the bass play with each other and stuff like that, you know, there, the barbaric side of rock is amazing, and and everybody that plays rock, or I think you know a lot of men who play it, and, and we we have a very kindred spirit with that. But there's there's a lot of women out there that like rock music, and you, you I don't want to say you you need to cater to them, but why would you exclude them? Why would you not do things that they can understand and feel and, and move them? You know what I mean? Without just trying to make music to try to get them naked, kind of shit. You know what I mean? Like. There's a lot of people like, well, I want to move women just to, you know, have sex with them. It's like, well, all right, you know, what heterosexual male doesn't want to do that, you know? But at the same time, you need to touch their souls, you know what I mean? And it's important to do that for for men and women alike in the right way that the band can do it, you know what I mean? Because it's like, this is the kind of thing I think music that we wanted to make. We wanted to speak to everybody that it should speak to. You know, we're not trying to make just generic music. They're like, hope everybody likes it. You know, it's like vanilla. But we wanted to like be expressing ourselves to the highest degree and speaking to as many people as possible. And the way that you do that, I think, is opening up and being very uh, open to different things and different sounds and different vibes and pull that together to make your own sound and just not constantly copying yourself. You know, to play it safe. Like, take risks and and see where that takes you in life, you know, and in music. Do you remember the first time you ever performed in front of a live audience? Like, even if it was, like, as a teenager? Probably. I think with my friends in, in some sort of, like, seventh grade or sixth grade or fifth grade or something like that. I was telling Damien, uh, he's, he, him and Russ are out right now doing some stuff, uh, seeing the sights of L.A. or whatever they're doing. And I was telling Damien that I remember when I was in... Um, I was always into skateboarding. Oh, that's why I'm watching Lords of Dogtown. It's always into skateboarding. I was into sports too. But then once I got into skateboards and guitars and stuff like that, I went into that whole world, which is like a counterculture world, you know? So I, I remember the first time that I was, um, I guess I was in the seventh grade or the, no, no, no. Maybe I was in the eighth grade or like the ninth grade or something like that. And I was in jazz band. And I like refused to turn tune my guitar to the tuning that they were in, you know? So I, uh, cause I was down tuned a little bit. So I had to play bass, <laughs> you know? Right? So then when we weren't doing class during like lunch and stuff like that, we would, we would jam and me and this drummer and like some bass player. Right. So we're in this room playing and I figured we were playing, we were playing like some sort of like medley of like Metallica and GNR and Alice in Chains and a few other bands, you know, some, some newer bands like that. 
And I remember like this super hot, popular senior girl came into the room while we were playing and just like stood there and was like watching us for a good like minute or so, whatever, you know, and like when you're that age, and she's standing there. It seems like she's there for like a month, you know, and she was watching and you can tell she was stoked because she was listening to it and we were playing well. Yeah, like, you know, like, we knew what we were doing. We were playing like really popular songs, you know, and she stood there with her backpack and she was looking and I saw her and I was just like, fuck, yeah, I go, this is. I already love doing this, right? I know that for a fact. It's like not like I decided to pick up guitar because girls like it or something like that. I love doing this already. But then that happened, and that was like a confirmation. And, you know, I, that wasn't the first time for an audience, but that was just like a first memory of like, ah, uh, yeah, you know? And I think me and my friends played, you know, from some like some party or something like that. Yeah, first thing that kind of brought the passion to a whole new level as opposed to just being like, I know I like this, but at the same time, people are actually enjoying it. Like right. I for a living, you know? And the, and, and, and the, and the unlikeliness of that girl, too. Like, I would never have guessed that girl would even have given a shit. You know, I, mean, I didn't know her. Like, I knew who she was. You know, I mean, she was a senior. I was a freshman or whatever I was, you know? And I'd seen her around school. And, you know, she always, like, she doesn't know, like, something about Mary's or any, any, any girl who's, like, really supposed to be, like, the it girl in a movie, you know? It was almost like this girl floated. You know what I mean? But because you know, in your mind, you're a crazy little ninth grade mind, you know, just like, oh, my God. So for that chick to roll in and watch us and be like, she was like staring. She was like listening. And like, I, we all knew she was stoked, you know, right. That right. was just like rat, you know, and that, I think that might have been one of those moments where you think like, hey, this can reach all kinds of people. There's not just the stoner people in here or the rock people in here just sitting around a band like people do. This was cream of the crop top shelf high school chick going like, oh, dope. Now, did I, you know I like hearing Paradise City and Ender Sandman and whatever else these dudes were riffing through. <laughs> right. Oh, my God. So did you know early on or how long did it kind of take you to realize like, okay, I'm good. I love doing this. How can I turn this into a career? Because again, like we talked about at the beginning, there's the business side. You got to market yourself. There's a lot of things right. that, you know, go along with the puzzle as opposed to just the music. Right. Well, when I started playing music immediately, I'm, I'm very pushy. It's like, if I'm into something, I'm really into it. I like to do it at a high level. So when I was playing, I was playing with my friends, we were all playing together and they were more doing it for fun. And they were, they were living vicariously through others. They would like put on, like they dress up like whoever they liked or whatever. And I was like, no, I like individuality. I wanted to be an original band. So I was always like on them. And my friend, my, my one friend, I uh, was funny. He was like the singer. And I would ride this guy and it was like too much. And I remember one time he was like, he's like, dude, you're like, you're like over the top about this, man. It's like, almost like you just like, you never have off them because of, this is what I want to do. You know? So what happened is I quickly moved past needing like wanting to play with my friends because they weren't serious. So what I had to do is I had to go find outsiders and people I didn't know to play music with. So I was doing that at a very young age and, you know, I'd been through a lot of different people. I've only been in four bands in my entire lifetime, just the fourth band, but I played with like a lot of people and you sift through people. And every once in a while, I remember like, I'm like, who the fuck was this person? And I'm thinking, Oh my God, it was some person who answered an ad and had me come down to their place. And that guy drummed or this person played bass. And I can see their faces a little bit, but I can't quite remember their names and quite can't quite remember the exact setting or what we were trying to do music wise, but we were definitely trying to do something, you know? And it was always like me going over to their place and wanting to play. And, you know, um, they either weren't serious enough or they weren't good enough or whatever the problem was or blah, 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 you know, but, um, right from the beginning, I was ready to do this 
on a professional level. Now, to get to a professional level it takes a long journey. <laughs> you know what I mean? There was uh, tons of things that I did wrong, and I had to get better and uh, just learn tons of things and, you know, just uh, get my feet and my whole body wet and just kind of immersed in that shit and, and, and learn how to navigate towards it and monetize it and, and not let it be something that's constantly disappointing or something that is a hobby. By no means is this a hobby. This is my life. Right. You know what I mean, I eat, sleep and breathe this shit, you know, I mean, it fuels my, my meat. Rep, yeah, like repetition. You got to practice constantly, hourly. You got to learn how to play in front of people, you know, live. Right. You got to, again, build repertoire with people, whether you're starting your band, whether it's a solo career. You got to have a team, like a, not only a support team, but a business team that's going to take right. everything there. As well. well, and that's just one aspect. Like playing is just one aspect. I'm a very business-minded person. I'm all about I'm like, I'm the, uh, like the, you know, the de facto leader of that. And that's a whole nother thing that you had to learn. So over like the last, you know, 15, 20 years of my life, I, I worked for Live Nation for 11 years. I worked at oh. concerts. So I learned that was like my music college, my, my music business college. So I did that. And then just trial and error of like being in the bands that I was, the people I've been around, the people that I've met in the industry. I'm always talking to those people and, and getting, you know, learning from them, you know, and, and paying attention and spending a lot of time with more people like that, you know, partying and goofing around. Don't get me wrong, I party and goof around. Right. But, um, I, I focus on that and I soak it up and I learn and I'm not afraid to ask questions. And I, I take phone calls. Like if anybody business oriented, my, my attorney or German knows this, he can call me at any time and I will answer the phone and I will discuss whatever we need to discuss and make it happen. If, I, if he called me at four in the morning, he goes, Hey dude, we need to do this, make it happen. I'll do it. And I'm not in subservient kind of like ask kissy kind of way, just kind of like it's on. Like I'm like a fucking hitman. Like, or Boba Fett, you know what I mean? Like, oh. I got to do some shit. Like, you know, Boba Fett, like, didn't do anything until he was supposed to do something. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? He's kind of camped out. Yeah. Just waited till he was ready to do that thing he was supposed to do. You know, and for lack of a better term, that's what I do. But you were really smart about it, you know, working with Live Nation for as long as you did over a decade, you know, because you're learning there on the fly as opposed to just finding other gigs to make money so that you can keep, you know, touring, you keep going on. Well, I did. I had, just like anybody else, I had normal jobs and I lost my job. The, the place that I worked at with my friend just got rid of us. Like, not because we did a bad job. They were just downsizing. So we lost our jobs. And I remember he and I were walking down the hallway. We were like shell-shocked because we got let go, right? And he goes, oh, man. He goes, well, like, what are you going to do? And I go, I'm not getting another job. Yeah. And that's, that's also, that's what I really said. I'm not making this up. And he goes, oh, he was just kind of confused. Like, shit, what do we do? And I didn't. I never got another normal job again. And luckily... Live Nation thing, my aunt pulled me into it. She was working for like the catering company and starting to work at shows. And she called me up to work at a show one day out of the blue in the morning. And I went and did it. And from that point till I stopped doing it was just a, a great ride of working at every kind of show you can imagine. Seeing every artist, dealing with managers, dealing with their tour production, dealing with um, other runners and fans and artists and stuff like that. You, you have no, ch you, you did the, you do one of two things. You, you're oblivious to it for some weird reason, or you soak it up and you let it mold you and you go and put your own spin on it in the world. And that's what I do. Yeah, you got to take like bits and pieces of other inspirations that you have and then take your own style and let that again, sink in like, kind of like a sponge. You're a sponge in these moments where you're taking in all this knowledge and, right. you're, and you're not forgetting about your own identity, your own style. Right. 
what's going to form. You, you, you learn what to do and what not to do. You learn what works, what doesn't work. And then, you know, during that, during that time period, you're like, uh, you're changing and growing as a person. And you're also working. You're working. I worked really hard. I still have a lot of friends that work for, for Live Nation and they work really hard. You know, when you're doing a stadium show and you're there for like 15 days and you're out, you're, the days just blur into each other. And like for hours, there's nothing happening. And all of a sudden, like there's this crazy fire you have to put out. And I don't mean a literal fire, I mean a problem, you know? And then, you know, your nerves get shot. And when you're an artist, when, while you're doing that, you still have to keep that fire inside of you that you want to be the one who gets on that stage. And I'll be like, well, I made $5,000 over the last 14 days doing this show. That's good enough for me. Like the pay was great. And that was all good. But that wasn't, I wasn't satisfied with that. I have to be on stage doing that. I had to get, I had to be, I want to be on the Rose Bowl, you know, the stage of the Rose Bowl playing and not backstage working. And that's nothing against anybody backstage working. They all do a great job and they work hard, but that my calling is on the stage, you know? And I was, I'm super grateful that I got all that, that, uh, that knowledge and, and learned and knew that that fire was inside me that I, that I don't have to worry like, Oh man, you know, how long will I do this for? Or maybe some, there's something else for me. And I mean, Right. Life will take you in many directions and there's all kinds of things for you. But when something's your passion, you continue to do that no matter what. You know, I would do this whether anybody listened or not or whether I got one penny or not. You know, I mean, you paid your dues. Who's sure. the most? Uh... And there's more. There's way more to pay. You never you never really stop paying your dues. <laughs> no, I mean, you learn that every day. Just when you think you figured out everything, you know, God puts right. something else in front of you. You're like, oh, that'll humble me. Right, right, right. Was there a one specific band that was the most difficult to work with during your time at Live Nation? Oh, um, yeah, always. I don't want to name them. I mean, right. they're they're really they're really big and uh, they're always like, big bands. They're like you too, but not cool you too. If that, if you can re recall that you can deduce on your own who that might be. I'll connect the dots later on. I'll let you know. They play in like stadiums and they're just, they're just, yeah. <laughs> and I don't even know. It's, it's hard to tell if it's them. I, I know one thing that I learned from the guy that I work for, he was really important to me. Like when I was first starting, I was a runner and I'm a, a runner is basically you show up in your car, you drive around for the production all day. And that could be anything from like picking up their bus drivers back and forth to the hotel, taking laundry in, grocery shopping for the buses, constant runs like Staples and Office Depot. You go to Home Depot a kajillion times. You just, you just run around, <laughs> you know what I mean? And you're, you're, you're their, you're their wheels. Cause they, you know, they're in on a tour bus. They, they can't leave. And I was getting beat up pretty bad by, by whoever I was working for. And I remember talking to the guy that, that I worked for. And I was like, dude, what's, what's up with these people? And he goes, pulled me aside. He goes, look, Mike, he goes, it starts from the top. He goes, if the artist is an asshole, it trickles down. So he goes, so if the production manager is a fucking jerk off, it's coming from somebody bigger than him and it just goes down the line. And I just kind of learned that. And it's look, sometimes you just catch people on the wrong day. It's stressful. You don't get a lot of sleep out on the road. There's a lot of shit going on. There's a lot of moving parts. So you have to be, you have to be understanding, but sometimes you can just tell that they're just like nasty people and they just have it out for you for no real reason other than you're the low person on a totem pole, which is weak. You know what I mean? And you kind of just learn from there because it's like, in my opinion, it's a really, really, really awesome industry. And it's a, like a privilege, not a right to be able to be doing that rad, cool rock shit and right. music stuff. So why treat people shitty? You know, people get into it. I get it. And, and, and I get pissed off all the time and I get frustrated. But if you're just treating people poorly because you can, that's just lame.
Catch new episodes of The O Show for free, available on all audio platforms. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.